Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. James Voos, Professor and Chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at University Hospitals in Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Voos was a senior author of the paper titled Biologics, Stem Cells, Growth Factors, Platelet-Rich Plasma, Hemarthrosis, and Scaffolds May Enhance ACL Surgical Treatment, which is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Voos, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Honor. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. Uh, certainly, we have so much to learn about this topic, and you're such an expert, and everything that you have going on at your institution is really exciting. So I'm excited to, to learn from you and, and get the word out a little bit. So first, I wanted to congratulate you on putting together such a comprehensive and excellent review of, of this topic for the readers. And I wanted to ask you, what was your uh, impetus of undertaking this project, and why did you decide to write this up? There were there were a few things that really uh, uh, piqued our interest and really stemmed the desire to uh, to see what's out there and push the science forward. One is the the demand from our patients. We have all, all of our patients coming in, whether it's with knee arthritis or an ACL injury, and the uh, certainly the the request from our patients is out there. And being at an academic institution, we want to be able to provide. Uh, the most uh, scientifically rigorous uh, information and treatments to our patients. So that was number one, is let's go out and find what is truly the, the most scientific way or the most evidence-based way to take care of our, our patients. Uh, the second was a really uh, serendipitous part of being at our institution. Uh, Case Western is actually the, the origin of the mesenchymal, steam, uh, the mesenchymal stem cell. Uh, Arnold Kaplan, Dr. Kaplan, actually uh, coined the term MSC here several years ago and is one of our, our um, investigators on the paper here with us. So we have an obligation at an institution where uh, the MSD originated uh, to really uh, look at what's the next phase of science and how to move things forward. That's awesome. I wasn't aware of that. So that's a uh, great history. So tell us about, uh, it's a good segue. Tell us about MSCs. You know, like you mentioned, we have all these patients come in and they always say, what about stem cells with their knee arthritis? Or like you mentioned, a lot of different types of uh, pathologies. Tell us about MSCs and kind of the history of getting away from the term stem cells, what MSCs mean, where they come from, and kind of your preferred choice. I know that's a, a big question, but how, how they fit in, especially the United States with the FDA regulations, et cetera. And as we know with the mesenchymal stem cell, there's, there's multiple sources and the, the most common being the, the iliac crest or, or of, uh, of any bony origin, as well as adipose tissue, the, the fat pad in the knee, the synovium. Uh, and I, I think the, uh, the iliac crest and our fat harvesting have been the most common. And uh, from my end, we have utilized our, our iliac crest primarily. But if, if we back up to the term mesenchymal stem cell, even our most expert uh, uh, regenerative medicine scientists and Dr. Kaplan himself at a recent uh, Grand Rounds, we, I think we've all agreed the term MSC is probably the wrong term to utilize. And it, it's more of a pluripotent progenitor cell is probably more of our term uh, that, that defines the cell better, although less exciting of a term. I think it's more accurate knowing that these cells are probably a little more committed than a true stem cell is. But n nonetheless, it's still the same cell, and, and uh, our goal is to figure out how to make these cells work the best. And uh, I, I talk with a lot of our, our uh, residents and fellows about the three E's when it comes to stem cells and, or in any biologic, and one is it needs to be efficacious. So you have to be confident of what you're, uh, what you're uh, putting in your patient or treating your patient with work so that you can 
uh, at least be able to describe what the outcome is going to be. So that's number one. The second is, is it executable? Meaning is the, the system you're going to utilize, is the way you're going to deliver those stem cells something that you can integrate or do in your practice? There's some different systems and different ways to use stem cells out there that are seem, seem excellent, but they may not be appropriate or, or uh, reasonable for your practice. Uh, and then finally is the expense here. As we all know, these are not covered by insurance and uh, being comfortable with the cost of the implant and being it or the cost of the, the biologic and uh, being a, a, a steward of your patients, making sure that you're uh, economically making sure whatever you're going to rec uh, recommend is worth it. So the uh, and we want it to be efficacious, want it to be executable, and we want it to have the appropriate expense. Yeah, all certainly so important. We see people all the time. I'm sure the same in your practice have spent you know ten thousand dollars or more for certain treatments, and they're not really sure what they're getting. And we owe it to ourselves and them. Certainly, all great points. So, you know, you mentioned um, some of the, the bone marrow harvest. Tell us a little bit about um, how you typically are, are doing this. Have you um, jumped to performing some of these in clinic for folks with knee arthritis? Tell us what you found to be the most reasonable financially and for patient uh, satisfaction and comfort and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, that's a great question. And th this was one I was really struggling with as to how to, how to uh, integrate this into my practice. And uh, so we took a multi-phase approach. And the first was to talk with your friends and colleagues and mentors and see uh, what they've used, what's worked and hasn't worked to get a sense of some of those who have had the learning curve uh, before you. Uh, so that was number one, which is a bit of expert opinion. Uh, the second was we've used a lot of our academy resources, the Arthroscopy Association or, or the AAOS, uh, uh, AOSSM, as all, all of those resources to see what's out there. And in particular, looking at technique guides, I, I, I felt as though I, I understood the literature but wanted to figure out which type of techniques work. Uh, so that was number two, is looking at all of the, uh, all of the technique guides and the expert publications. Uh, the third, when we actually started performing these, I started out doing them in the ambulatory surgery center where we do it under some conscious sedation or at least under local where we have the ability to, to place the patient under MAC or some level of conscious sedation. That allowed me to make sure it was comfortable for the patient, uh, that I had the system down that I could and have the technique down where I could do this more comfortably. Uh, as we've worked through that, as you can select the appropriate patients have moved to be able to perform this in a, in the office setting or in a procedure room setting in our office under local anesthesia. And certainly it's all about patient selection and you, you talk with the patients about the discomfort they may feel and some still elect to do it in the, in the surgery center. Obviously that adds a little element of cost to the patient when you're doing it in a facility. But I took that gradual approach, expert opinion, reading as much as we could about the uh, the technique, doing it under anesthesia, and then ultimately moving it to doing it under local. And surprisingly, as, as we've become more streamlined with the technique and really it, it's discussing the, the potential the type of discomfort with the patient, uh, the majority of patients have tolerated this really well in the office setting. Yeah, that's great to know. I was curious to how to incorporate this uh, into our own practice because a lot of our listeners, as we talked about uh, before we started, a lot of us are younger career physicians, and certainly this is something that patients want. Like you mentioned, it's not, not going anywhere. So can you tell us a little bit about what you tell the patients regarding the discomfort? And then are you doing the ASIS or PSIS typically in the office? Or just give us a little rundown of, of your setup and how you discuss it with patients. 
you know, we've had the good fortune in our lab, which we'll talk about a little bit further, has been a, a well-established stem cell lab for quite some time. So we were able to look at both whether we took the cells, harvested the cells from the posterior crest or the anterior crest, and we were able to identify the same uh, number and quality of cells. So in the office, I'll actually do it on, in the anterior crest. And I think the patients have felt more comfortable being on their back it's a little bit more natural of a position that, that we as, as physicians are all used to utilizing. In the operative suite, when folks are asleep, we'll often do it uh, prone, and, and it's a little bit more for mind as an educational aspect to show people both ways to do it. But So I, we've had just as good of results doing it uh, supine in the office with the anterior crest has been my, has been my preferred, and it, it's nice that we've been able to validate that with our cell counts as we've, as we've done our clinical trials. Yeah, certainly doing it the right way with the the real science. Now you mentioned about your stem cell trials, and I know uh, from Pittsburgh, uh, we've sent you, and Dr. Bradley specifically has sent you patients because uh, really you have some exciting trials going on that are pretty unique, especially in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, research trials and any of the hypotheses or preliminary findings that you had? And just let us know what, what's going on in Cleveland at uh, University Hospitals that you're you're engaging in. Yeah, this is what we're most excited about and where I encourage our uh, physicians in training to really think about academic medicine because this is a great way to, uh, th these type of research studies are very stimulating and you're, you're never, uh, never surprises me how you come in contact with, uh, with your, uh, those that you may do research with. And our dean of our medical school and, and head of the cancer center, Dr. Gerson, has been utilizing stem cells in his lab for cancer treatments for years and years and years and has FDA approval to grow uh, stem cells, which as we know, the, the federal government requires you have FDA approval to more than minimally manipulate the cells. Uh, so he and I encountered each other at a hospital event and started, uh, started conversing. And he said, you know, we should, we should really use these in the musculoskeletal setting. So we uh, got both of our teams together, and it took uh, a little over two years and, and quite a bit of, of uh, financial resources to ultimately go through all the FDA regulations and receive IND approval. So we now on clinicaltrials.gov have an active trial for patients 18 to 60 with mild to moderate arthritis of their knee. We will, in the, uh, in the office or in the ambulatory suite, harvest your stem cells will identify those cells in the lab and grow them into the hundreds of thousands. That takes about two weeks to get through the multiple passages, and then we do some, uh, some sterility and quality control. And then in the office setting, two weeks later, we'll do an injection into the knee. So this first trial is for knee arthritis. Uh, we've done six patients, of which five of the six have eclipsed their six-month mark. Uh, most important, we've had no adverse events. So no, no uh, major adverse events from that standpoint. And when we look at our early outcomes of pain and uh, improved uh, ambulation, overall improved activity scales, those have all, uh, all improved in our patients. We have noted the first couple days after surgery, the knees are a little sore. And it's, as you can imagine, from the high cellular content of what we're injecting in the knee, you probably get a little local inflammatory response. So this, this first study is a safety and efficacy study of 16 patients, of, and we're a little over a third of the way through those 16. Uh, once we get through that, we look to expanding it even, even further. Uh, this, the second study is focusing more down on our ACL injuries, 
where now that we have the ability to identify and multiply these cells as a secondary aspect, we can measure their cytokine profile. So when we get the cells at time zero, all those cells are in, in this PRP and, and biologic milieu of cytokines that that's what we're normally injecting at time zero in the current stem cell setting, right? It's, it's a couple stem cells and all of their associated cytokines. So we've analyzed those cytokine profiles and realized as you expand the cells, each of those passages multiplying them, the cytokine profiles change. They may make more growth factors and less inflammatory factors. So the next part of the study is in evaluating how, how those cytokines change as you multiply the cells. And then on top of that, we have added orthopedic adjuvants to those cells, so PRP, steroid, uh, HA, to show that we can alter those cytokine profiles through each passage. And we, and we just presented that at the ICRS meeting in Berlin uh, this summer, showing, again, that we can further manipulate the cells in terms of uh, dialing in what type of cytokines to produce. And then the final is uh, knowing that we can uh, utilize these cells now, now in young athletes with an acute ACL and an acute hemarthrosis, we're aspirating that hemarthrosis and assessing the cytokine profile. We're also identifying the stem cells from that hemarthrosis that again, we can multiply. And the end goal, and when we're talking about this in sports terms, is to utilize our ACL repair uh, enthusiasm and scaffolds that are available to now uh, implant these expanded stem cells onto these ACL scaffolds. And we've had great track record at our institution with that. In fact, uh, Rob Gillespie and Ozan Akis recently published in AJSM uh, the use of these uh, stem cells in a uh, rotator cuff scaffold that we're really looking forward to translating into our, into our, ACL, uh, into our ACL study. So a few different clinical trials going, uh, one for arthritis, one for cytokines, the other for ACL repair. So it's, it's an exciting time. Certainly, uh, uh, as, as, as you know, Dr. Arter, as each study comes with its results that generates as many questions as it does, as it does conclusions. So we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, certainly. Congratulations. I can't imagine the number of meetings and paperwork and things that took to put those together because certainly this is a difficult and, you know, appropriately so uh, regarding the FDA and, and all these stem cells. So we're certainly excited. This is a, a machine that's starting to get going and we're excited. I'm sure we'll see a lot of a lot of excellent and exciting data from your institution. So thanks for, for sharing all that. You know, you mentioned the rotator cuff portion. Uh, tell us, you know, besides the knee arthritis, how are you using biologics in your practice? Are you injecting some uh, BMAC after your ACLs or how are you using it currently clinically? So the majority of the time I use biologics in my practice is still in the arthritis setting. That, that's where I've had the, the most success and where I can most predictably tell the patient uh, there's some potential for pain relief and, and improved function. Uh, so it's usually in that mild to moderate arthritis most of the time in, in our knees, but, but in the shoulders as well. And it's uh, worked very well in our professional athletes, of which we've used the PRP formulas in season and our stem cell uh, formulations out, outside of the season or on the edges in the off season or when there's bye weeks time, time for folks to recover. So I, I've still been pretty, uh, pretty conservative in terms of using it primarily in that setting, in the, the knee arthritis setting. We will use some of the PRP or, or less cellular components in some of our soft tissue hamstring injury things of that standpoint. 
with our ACLs, I still have been quite conservative in terms of what we're injecting around the graft. So at time zero with ACLs, I have not been utilizing, with an ACL reconstruction, have not been utilizing any biologics. We have, after some discussion with a few of the patients during the remodeling phase of the ACL at three and six months, have utilized PRP or BMAC uh, during those intervals to, and for the statement of, of opinion, to fertilize the graft, uh, for lack of a better term. But I've been a little cautious about doing it at time zero to avoid inciting too much of an inflammatory response. Yeah, an exciting time for sure. Um... Tell us a little bit about uh, the scaffolds. You know, uh, we talked a lot about the biologics, but there's a great discussion of different scaffolds in your paper. Um, do, do you use scaffolds much in your practice currently? You know, you did mention the rotator cuff portion or, you know, how do you see this in the future? Do you think we will be repairing ACLs with scaffolds? And what's your outlook on, on this exciting technology? Well, this is one of the, the most exciting reasons to have us uh, talking today, and I know I know your group, uh, Dr. Arna, has been very busy with this, as well as uh, others across the country. Uh, when we think about ACL surgery, it's it's one of our it's one of the reasons many of us went into sports medicine. It's uh, it's the surgery that everybody loves doing, but it's still one of the only procedures in sports where we we steal from you, right? We borrow or we cause some morbidity. Uh, harvesting your patellar tendon or your quad tendon or your hamstring. And it's it's my goal, and I think the goal of many scientific teams, is to, if we can perform ACL surgery, whether it's repair, regeneration, use of scaffolds, and not have to cause that morbidity of a harvest, I think we've really changed the procedure. Obviously, ACL reconstruction utilizing autograft is very predictable and a well well-established procedure, but I think it can be better. And so that's really been my uh, drive in practice and in my mission is can I contribute to the literature by getting us closer to doing ACL surgery without the graft. So I do think scaffolds are the answer. And I do think us, it, this is all hypothesis that if we can uh, get to the ACL sooner and uh, have the opportunity to repair and augment the ACL with the scaffold, and that's where the combination of the scaffold, the cells, and the growth factors all will come into play. And I think that's where we're all working towards that formula. That's really the, the clinical goal that I'm trying to get to. So currently, we are using a collagen-based scaffold. And uh, Case Western has proprietary collagen scaffold textile we're using as part of our, uh, our ACL uh, studies that we're currently doing pig studies on. Uh, but there are many different hydrogels and PLA and, and uh, other collagen-based scaffolds out there. I think if you're going to utilize these, you want to find one that you're comfortable uh, with its preparation. You know, what is it made of? Where does it come from? How fast does it dissolve? Uh, what's its cost? Uh, but that's, I, I definitely believe that's where we're, we're headed is to find the appropriate scaffolds that we can populate with those cells and uh, repairing the, the remnant of the ACL. An exciting time and certainly so many factors and appreciate all of your guidance and your basic scientists. So a lot to, to get together. So we, we're certainly indebted. You know, you mentioned your, your last D with expense. You know, all this is, is so exciting, but tell us a little bit about in your practice currently or how you'd advise people getting in, involved in biologic treatments regarding costs. You're working with your hospital systems and then also in the future, based on your discussions with the FDA and all of your trials, do you think there's a time that insurance companies may start 
uh, paying for this. You know, it's always been a little surprising to myself and have conversations regarding hyaluronic acid being covered, but not uh, something like PRP. So give us a little bit of your thoughts regarding cost and the future of that. I think the onus really is on us as uh, academic physicians and, and clinical orthopedic surgeons to do the research to prove the efficacy of these treatments. Because ultimately, certainly if we can show improvement of quality of life, maybe we're using less implants and more scaffolds or cells, ultimately to have this covered uh, by insurers, I think is what serves the patients the best and serves science the best. So I think that's uh, our biggest challenge here now is to put some true science and rigor uh, to the use of stem cells uh, or whatever biologic to uh, ultimately have them covered by insurance. I think there's such wide variation there now. It's understandable why it's hard to cover when it hasn't been as well of a defined treatment modality. As you start in your practice, I do th it's really uh, first and foremost a conversation with your patients to get a sense of what your patients are willing to pay or what it's worth to them, and then ultimately would you feel comfortable charging a patient. And we're in an academic medical center, so we work with our hospital system to find an appropriate price. And the, as we know, the, the PRPs and those type are, are much um, less, less expensive than our, our stem cell or BMAC type of preparation. So if you're going to start it in your practice, maybe you start with that, which is a little more cost effective, and then get a sense of what you're comfortable with, and then maybe uh, build that menu of things to offer your patients. We, have, we in, in pushing the science forward, have really been very aggressive about applying for grants, as well as we've had tremendous uh, support from uh, several of our, our uh, donors and, and philanthropy in Cleveland that have really taken great interest in this, including the owners of our professional football team who have funded our initial clinical trials. And that's allowed us to grow and expand these cells and recruit patients at a much more rapid rate when the, the trial is free to the patient. So we've, we've been really able to accelerate our data with that, that great support from philanthropy as well as from grants. That's really helped us move things forward. And ultimately, the ability to do that allows us to put forth a product that there is a cost to it. We can tell the patient that it's been studied in, in a rigorous fashion and it's worth the, worth the cost. Yeah, that's definitely doing it the right way rather than starting on the other end, which unfortunately we sometimes do uh, get excited about a technique before the science comes about. So definitely makes us feel better uh, regarding education of the patient. So to wrap this up, where do you see biologics in the future? You, you mentioned um, your thoughts about ACL surgery in the future. Tell us a little bit about how you think biologics will fit into our practice, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years or whatever regarding rotator cuff surgery and, and other treatments. It's such an exciting time. And you, know, you look back at some of my mentors and what was popular in the most common surgeries and how things have changed so much. It's exciting to, to think what's upcoming. So what are your thoughts about that? I, I think this is a, a great time for, for orthopedic surgeons and particularly those coming out of training. And when you, when you think back to the major milestones, whether it was you know, the, the AO and internal fixation and then the advent of arthroscopy and our, our different techniques of, of doing surgery, I think our, our understanding of the biologic really is the next frontier. And, and we're really on the steep part of that curve as we're all, we're all climbing quickly with our knowledge base. So it's a great time to jump in and as you're starting an academic career to really uh, this is an opportunity to get in as uh, again on the ground floor as this is really uh, becoming a true specialty and be able to contribute. So I, I do think the ability to 
uh, utilize and harness uh, someone's own uh, reparative capacity really is the future. And more and more the, the um, ability to manipulate the cells. And we may find it's not only the cells or not the cells at all, maybe it's the growth factors that the cells produce. So I think there's a couple different angles here, whether it's the cells, whether it's the growth factors, it's probably all of the above. But I do think that's where we're headed more and more to, to utilize the patient's own healing capacity. The scaffolds are going to continue to develop and become more refined and more user-friendly as we understand more about the cells. And I think as the use of stem cells in this way become uh, more uh, responsible and understood, I think I, I, I hope the FDA sees this in a positive light uh, as the opportunity to really expand this and, and have it be of, of wider use. Yeah, we're certainly excited to see what your institution with your leadership uh, is going to put out and we'll uh, be excited to see that. So thank you so much for sharing your time and, and expertise and knowledge with us and hope you stay warm and I look forward to seeing you at the Brown Steelers game. Hopefully it's it's a little above zero degrees, which it's been, I think, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland lately. See if we, we can survive one more game in the cold here. Right, I, I really sure. appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Arnold. This is a fantastic series you do here with the podcast. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Dr. Vu's article titled Biologics, Stem Cells, Growth Factors, Platelet-Rich Plasma, Hemarthrosis, and Scaffold May Enhance ACL Surgical Treatment is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at arthroscopyjournal.org. Thanks so much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Mm-hmm.